penetrating eyes that drew all of the attention and that had long ago earned him his nickname. Though he hated the Rasputin moniker, he found that it instilled in his enemies and those who would oppose him a certain degree of fear, and therefore he had allowed it to stick. His salt-and-pepper-colored hair was trimmed in a military-style crew-cut. His skin was severely pockmarked, and his left eye drooped slightly due to a grenade that had exploded in his face as he was pushing one of his men out of danger's way. While he was twice as brave as his assembled colleagues, he was easily less than half as refined, and, as if to demonstrate that very fact, he downed his brandy in one long swallow. The men around the table smiled at their friend's behavior. Stavropol was as constant as the northern star. In over forty years nothing had changed him, not money, not power, not even the knowledge that he would go down in history as one of the greatest soldiers Mother Russia had ever produced. In combat he had saved the life of each man in the room, some more than once. But they had not gathered in this remote wooded area forty miles west of Moscow to relive the past. On the contrary, the four men seated around the worn oak table were there to shape the future. Outside, a breath of icy wind blew across the gravel driveway of the centuries-old hunting lodge. From its stone chimney, tendrils of gray smoke could be seen only for an instant before being sucked upward into an ever-darkening sky. As the cold wind pressed itself against the formidable structure, it moaned deeply. Stavropol, the group's leader, walked over to the fireplace and spent several moments prodding the glowing embers with an iron poker as he pretended to search for the appropriate words to say. It was an empty gesture. He knew exactly what he was going to say. Spontaneity was not one of his attributes. It led to mistakes, and mistakes were the harbingers of failure. Stavropol had rehearsed this moment in his mind for years— His raw determination was equaled only by his capacity for cold, detached calculation. After a sufficient show of introspection, he raised himself to his full height, turned to his colleagues, and said, "'It pleases me to see you all here. We have waited many long years for this. Today we embark upon a new and glorious chapter in the history of not only our beloved Russia, but of the world.' Fifteen years ago we were much younger,' interrupted one of the men. It was Valentin Primovich, the plotter, the worrier. He had always been the weakest link. Stavropol fixed him with a steady look. He had anticipated the possibility of dissension in the ranks, but not straight away. Subconsciously his hand tightened into a fist. He reminded himself to relax. "'Wait,' he told himself, just wait. Stavropol attempted to soften the features of his face before responding. Valentin, we are still young men, and what we may have lost in years, we have more than gained in experience. We have good lives now, said Uri Varensky, coming to the defense of Primovich. The world is a different place. Russia is a different place as we knew it would be, said Stavropol as his eyes turned on Varensky. He had grown soft and lazy. 
Had Stavropol been told fifteen years ago that the thick narcosis of complacency would one day overtake such a great man, such a great soldier, Stavropol never would have believed it. You forget that the change came because of us. It was our idea. It was your idea, replied Anatoly Karganov. We supported you, as we always have. But Uri and Valentin are correct. Times have changed. Stavropol couldn't believe his ears. Was Karganov, one of the greatest military minds the country had ever seen, siding with Primovich and Varensky? The Anatoly Karganov? Despite all of his careful planning, the meeting was not going the way Stavropol had envisioned. He stopped and took a deep breath, once again trying to...